Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 84, Why Would We Need Names? This week we're discussing series 6, episode 7 of Doctor Who, A Good Man Goes to War, and season 1, episode 13 of Angel, She. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Well, I didn't even make it through the introduction without tripping up. <laughs> I so, thought I was going to trip over the name, not you. I know. Um, good man goes to war. So, um, yeah, I like, I like how they worked out that, uh, demons run because I was actually thinking of it as, um, genitive rather yeah. than plural, yeah. uh, you know. As in, this yeah. is a run where demons are, yeah, uh, yeah. versus it being like like of the, the name of the place, which it is, um, but it's also like yeah, which, from the the verse. Which actually, in in thinking about that, reminded me of like titles that we've had before in like Buffy and stuff, where with like lovers walk, yeah, uh, and that kind of thing. So I I like how they they did the name's that. a little bit ambiguous, yeah. Um, but anyway. <laughs> So we didn't plan to start off talking about that. It just sort of occurred to me as we were thinking about that and, and saying that the good man goes to war. Demons run when a good man goes to war. Yeah. Um, the good man here being the doctor and <laughs> yes, and going to of. war. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, that's sort yeah. of the implication, right? Behind yeah. Behind yeah. the rhyme and all of that. He's the, um, the good man of the title. Um, actually, let me, uh, take that and say my couple production notes before we really start talking. Um, cause that actually was, um, kind of Moffat's idea behind this episode was he said he wanted to try to figure out a situation where the doctor could be provoked into assembling an army and mm-hmm. deliberately waging war. So I don't know that he like I don't know that he went about it quite like this but it's almost like one of those situations where you could almost have started with a title like that and then worked your way towards it like okay what would it take in order to create this sort of situation like sure the doctor is you know unequivocally a hero and a good man you know what kind of situation do we need for him to sort of you know yeah take these sort of drastic measures um, and actually, um, and I think you'll be disappointed to hear this. Moffat has said that he thought about bringing Captain Jack in as one of the allies. Oh, yeah. Um, and but, but Moffat, Moffat says he was busy doing Miracle Day at the time. Um, uh... I have never heard John Barrowman say this and, and Barrowman sometimes seems like he wishes he could come back and nobody's asking him. <laughs> so I don't know whether how far along the process that ever got. You know, it, it, it's unclear to me whether they ever actually made an offer to John Barrowman or not. Um, right, right. You know, so I'm not, I don't know. You know, it seems a little bit, I've never heard Barrowman say, oh, I really wanted to and I couldn't, you know. Um, so, like you know, maybe and actually it- there was... 
it might have just been discussed sort of in the writer's room, but never got yeah, beyond Yeah, it never that really got, yeah, you yeah. know, who knows exactly how far along the process it went. Um, and actually, there was an article posted just today um, with a quote from Moffat talking about how he would be open to uh, Captain Jack return if, if he had a story that he wanted to do. So, um, gotcha. and I know Barrowman always, you know, will say the same thing. So, although um, John Barrowman is in Arrow right now, and if he, he leaves, is. That, so you know, scheduling I mean, might be a scheduling might be an issue. Might have um, some upset people. Yeah, with that too, because he's. I know you haven't seen Arrow, and I only just recently yes. caught up uh, to where it is uh, in the break right now. So, uh-huh. but it's you know he has a somewhat integral part in that okay. storyline. So yeah, it would be. Yeah, yeah, they'd have to difficult work. to work out schedules there, but yeah, sure. But worth so, doing. Worth doing just for, for when, a one episode. When you know? when Stephen Moffat listens to our episode and wants our opinion <laughs> on the matter, yeah, he'll we do, he'll yeah. he'll be chastised and realize the error of his ways. Anyway, I would have liked to have had Captain Jack amongst the allies. I think that would have been a cool little addition. But you sure. know, it is what it is. Um, but I like that. So, and sorry, I'm gonna cut you off there because I do like, yeah. I do like the sort of the gathering of, yeah, the the foes sort of thing, yeah. which is a callback. Like I, so you know, in the in the lead up and finale of the last season, we get all of the foes sort of fighting against the Doctor, and so yeah. now it's um, they're all. In their way, helping him out. Maybe yeah. not completely willingly or willingly, or, yeah. or whatever, but it you know you do get that sense of like there's a yeah a, a sort of parallel you know to that ending there, um, and and also with the like we talked about with um, you know River and Vincent Van Gogh and sort of that whole progression too uh-huh. of like even from the different times and stuff sort of building up so it has the same kind of feel to all of that like uh yeah like well yeah there's a couple reversals there because like last time you had all the allies sort of working to help the doctor now you have the doctor calling on them for help you know like specifically recruiting them but like you said also most of them if not all of them are ones that have been we haven't met these characters before, so they're not specifically villainous, but at least, like, antagonistic. Like, it's a Silurian, and it's a, a you know, a... Um, Santaran. Santaran, thank you. I just completely blocked on the name. And um, we haven't seen too much of Dorian before, but he's a kind of amoral, kind of yeah, shady yeah. dealer type, you know, who's but, sort of but we did out see for his him. own, you know... Uh, when we saw him, he was at least antagonistic to River. You to know, River. So, like, she had to, like, blackmail him to get him right. to help and everything. Right. So, yeah. So there's that reversal, too, that you're getting, like, enemies who are being sort of pulled into the Doctor's orbit, kind of. And helping him sort of... It's sort of like they they might have been unwilling at first, but now they're, they actually do feel a certain amount of loyalty or at least a debt to him that they owe Mm. you know he's not forcing them but he's calling in his favors um and okay so and i I, so speaking of that i like 
well, and maybe we are, we'll talk about them a little bit more later. But I like yeah. the idea of like the Centauran is like sort of paying off his own like uh, you know yeah uh, demise or like you know is somehow in a he previously lost to the doctor and so you know his punishment is to help people rather than to, to help try the to weak kill and them. the sick <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah so anyway. the lowest form of punishment mm-hmm. a santaran can receive yeah <laughs> yeah um he's great um yeah but yet no, he, i do want to he, he and yet he excels at doing that you know like yeah <laughs> you know he's still a santaran he has his pride so he'll yeah you know be the best nurse that he can be to the point where he even like <laughs> biologically changes his body to produce you know milk yeah he can breastfeed and stuff yeah (laughs) um yeah no it's hilarious Uh, um okay let me quick finish up my my notes here yeah Um, come on what's taking it because all right well i do also want to mention the fact that this uh you'll have noticed that this episode ends on another cliffhanger um, and this is actually, yeah, yeah. No, um, less of sort one. of like you less get, of one. You get it's, more it's of re- a feel yeah. of like, it's a continuing story. It's not yeah. as standalone as, you know, like past yeah. episodes and seasons have been. It's definitely not a two parter in the same way that like the previous ganger episodes were, but right. it ends with like the story, you know, is, you yeah. know, it's not totally standalone. The story is going to keep going. It feels um, more like. Yeah, like sort of serial TV where it's not standalone episodes, but yeah. So um, at this point, um, and you'll notice it doesn't really end like they normally do with like a trailer of next week, you know, whatever. It ends with the big, you know, the doctors coming back. Will return, yeah. In Let's Kill Hitler, which is the best title ever. But um, (laughs) so the reason that that is... Which you can't trust titles anymore anyway, so it's like... You can't. No, no. Let's kill Hitler. We're going to have to talk about that title next time. Um, and that whole episode. But um, so the reason that you get that is that series six was actually split into two halves. Okay. Um, so this was like the mid-series finale, kind of. Okay. Um, so up until this point, it's been running in like the spring and early summer, which is normally when the show runs. Um, sure. but, uh, so this was broadcast in June, but then at this point, this, the series went on hiatus until August. Um, and then it came back at the end of August and into the fall. Um, so that's new, you know, since in the five seasons that the show was on before, other than the year that they took off for the specials when they were like, mm-hmm. you know, transitioning over and everything. Other than that, it always runs continuously, like in one, like it starts and it doesn't finish and stop until it finishes kind of thing. Um, This is the first time we're splitting it. Um, So, you know, for what that's worth, again, Moffat kind of redoing the structure a bit, like not, you know, working the season quite the same way and changing how things are done. Um, And, I mean, from what I can gather, it's mostly because of, like, these you know, production time constraints that Moffat does not work as quickly as Davies. Um, I'm pretty sure this is because he, you know, is not a workaholic, like to the same extent that Davies was. Like, Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned this before. If anybody's ever read the writer's tale, the man did not sleep for like five years. Like he, you know, wrote and emailed and worked pretty much constantly. Um, 
and had, you know, a partner, but they were living in different cities and like, you know, Moffat has a wife and kids that he has to spend time with occasionally. And he's also yeah. doing Sherlock. Um, right. So, you know, he, and he doesn't have, he has producers, but I don't think he has like a real strong producing partner in the same way that Russell Davies had Julie Gardner, who like, you know, rearranged all this scheduling, like moved mountains for him and got him all this help and stuff. Moffat doesn't really seem, he has like different producers like every year. Okay. You know, he doesn't have like a real like support system kind of like that as much. Gotcha. So he just does not work as fast. <laughs> so, you know, that means that things start to slow down at this point. So, um, which is a little bit unfortunate, but you know, that's just the reality of TV production. So in any case, if you were watching this live, you would then have a like three month gap until the next episode. So sure. you, this would have to sort of hold you over, but yeah. And thankfully um, we're not, thankfully we're not. Um, and then the only other thing I want to say is that this had a Hugo nomination too, which the doctor's wife won, but, um, this one was nominated. So sure. Generally well received this episode. Yeah. Well, and we can talk about why. Yeah. Um, Melody Pond. Melody Pond. Uh, the only water in the forest is the river. Yes. Which the TARDIS told us we would need to know one day. I did not even think of that when she said that. But you're right. That was told you. said and I... <laughs> clearly did not listen appropriately. Yeah. Uh, in my defense, neither did Rory. Yeah. I don't know true. if that says more about Rory or me, but anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it was there. I mean, that's... I don't even yeah. know that at the time I thought River Song. You know what I mean? Like I know, which is like, in retrospect, you go, it uses the word river. How could you not? But like... I agree. At the time, you're just sort of taking it and not really, yeah. you know, don't know what it means. So Right. Um, and everything that the TARDIS woman says is weird and ridiculous. So Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, like, well, I was going to say, it may not even mean a river. It doesn't mean a river. It means river song. But, you know, right. anyway. Um, clever. Mm -hmm. Melody Pond, river song. Mm -hmm. uh so, obviously, this opens up a lot of questions and possibilities. Sure. Uh, I like, so I like this scene where the doctor is figuring it out, like, what's going on. And his little, but we, you know, and he makes his, like, smooshy yeah. faces. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, embarrassed, yeah. Yeah, like, ooh, and he gets sort of tittery and excited and <laughs> yeah, uh, all of that's kind of funny. Um so, you know, again, we have sort of like timeline related things going on here, right? It's like, well, River's here. So we know that somehow Melody does end up mm -hmm. saved or safe in some way. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess technically and theoretically, that doesn't necessarily mean it happens right away. Sure. Uh, you know, and we don't know what's going on. Um, right. One of my first thoughts was... Oh, you know, okay, so thinking back to the little girl in the alleyway with the homeless man mm. 
appearing to start regenerating. Regenerating, yeah. Uh, is this the same girl? Like, I mean, are we still... Like, is this... Are all these different manifestations of the same person now? Like, I mean, that sort of seems to be the implication, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, along with the girl in the uh, spacesuit. Like, I mean... Right. I think we're meant to at least be thinking along yeah. the lines of that these are all the same right. person as well. So these are all melody in, yeah. in different ways. Um, yeah. And of course, so then there's the conversation between the Silurian and the doctor about her physiology and her DNA structure, uh, you know, being human plus time lord mm-hmm. uh and uh it was so mythologically very interesting because we get the idea that the time lords are just sort of super enhanced human right, right. Like, like these like they're not actually a different race per se like it's just sort of a genetically mutated in a good yeah, way it, you it, know, it kind of does seem like that a bit doesn't it um, like yeah that they evolved their abilities over this prolonged exposure to the to the vortex and everything you know so they were at least similar to humans if not the same yeah right right so yeah so like the double heart is just like you know it's just like a person who has six fingers on a hand kind of thing like you know they grew an extra heart kind of thing and it became useful and important to them but you know Mm -hmm. maybe Someday there will be enough people with six fingers that just everyone has six fingers and that's the normal thing. You know what I mean? Like it's, it right. doesn't seem like that that's, but yeah, like that there is, it, yeah, it's sort of like because of the exposure to the time vortex and stuff that it, it does, be, it sort of has mutative properties. Right. Uh, and, or something. So, um, right. Which, uh, you kind of called out too, like Amy's uh, instinct is right on about the the baby having time head. You know that. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. And we do find out that that you know melodies having been conceived, you know, while flying <laughs> through the time vortex, um, yeah. seems to have had some sort of yeah mutative effect on her on her DNA and everything, and that you know that. Kovarian and her, you know, evil band have been like exploiting that and sort of, um, you know, enhancing those abilities and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like the doctor's explanation that like they cooked her, like you know, like they like maybe she had certain properties which were there because of the way she was, you know, you know, conceived and born. But then they can kind of like tinker with those qualities and enhance them and everything yeah so you get like you know you get what appears to be her regeneration at the end there and you get the fact that she's super strong and kind of can like she can break out of the you know the suit with her bare hands and sort of survive and has sort of slightly superhuman qualities about her right right Hmm. um which we've seen a bit more of with river i think I said before that when we first meet her in the library, she seems like just an ordinary, you know, woman. She doesn't do anything physically that, you know, you know, I don't know, 
impressive or whatever. Impressive or whatever, but I think we get more of that as it goes on. You know, you especially in the last episodes, you know, when she sort of takes out all the silence, you know, single-handedly with her gun. Like, so you kind of get that she mm-hmm. has some, you know, physically she's sort of more than just an average person, she's, you know. River is like River. That is River Song is like River Tam in a way. River like, Tam. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And even just like the repeated ability to break out of her cell anytime yeah. she wants. Like, yeah. we don't know how that's happening, you know, or whatever, but there's, she clearly has some ability to yeah. do that in a, you know, or tools or whatever, like yeah, that nobody else, including the guards trying to keep her in. Although why there aren't guards constantly posted at her, you right. know, cell to watch over her seems odd to me. Like you would think they would figure that out after yeah. how many times she's broken out. But anyway, um, yeah, no, I would agree. Like, definitely there are all those, you know, things from, like, sort of simple eye-hand coordination to, yeah, like, some more strength or agility or whatever, you know, type of uh, things. They're definitely... She's definitely on the upper edge of human capability, if not superhuman. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, possibly one or yeah. the other, but... yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, so going back to that discussion between the doctor and the Silurian though, like, so the mythology stuff is kind of interesting or whatever, but, um, I also like the part where he's like realizing that the last time both Rory and Amy in their real flesh selves mm-hmm. were on the TARDIS was their wedding night. He, it couldn't possibly be the last time they were there was on their wed. Oh wait, oh, like yeah, yeah. Actually, I like his. It, I just like his like embarrassed. You yeah. know what they they're trying to talk around what they're really talking about. He's like, well, that's private. They don't put up on a balloon or anything. You know, <laughs> like he yeah. doesn't want to know what goes on in his TARDIS in the bunk beds and stuff, you know. Yeah, this is not the Doctor Dances Doctor. No. Like, this is very much an avoidance of dancing. Yeah, Uh, Doctor Eleven is a little bit more... uh, I don't know what the word is. Not quite prudish, but, like... Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the word is either for that, but... And, um... I mean, you get that, too, with his reaction to even, like, when River kisses him. You get the kind of boyish, like, flustered. He doesn't really know where to put his hands and stuff. Like, which we didn't really get from Doctors 9 or 10, you know. No. Uh, They seemed a little bit more comfortable with that side of themselves. So, um, yeah, yeah, slightly different characterization here. And I wonder if it's, like, going along with, like, the youthful looks type of thing. Like, it is, you know, more of the, like... Yeah. Yeah, just... Well, and especially with River, like, you get the the Mrs. Robinson jokes, the fact that she's, you know, the actress is so much older than him and everything, so there's something kind of cougarish about it, you know, even though he's older, you know, when you look at them together, it's like, she's, you know, 20 years older than him or something, so it's sort of like... Sure. You know, you kind of, I feel like maybe you add that in just to kind of gloss over the fact that there's the age gap and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
you know, and she's sort of, sort of vivacious and confident in everything. So it kind of makes sense that he would be kind of nervous and, you know. Sure, um, sure. But uh, yeah, like you get something a little bit more kind of, I don't know, innocent or, you know, I don't know, girl cooties or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's definitely a, a sort of avoidance uh, yeah. to all of that, which... Um, I mean, the ninth doctor did sort of avoid it to a certain extent, like, like in the doctor dances and stuff, but it's more like, it, it's more traumatic, <laughs> you know, sure. than, it's like more traumatic than naive. I think it, right, like right. Th- that might be the difference there. It's like here. Well, it's... yeah. Like he, he's more like, he has these certain, you know, like he's kind of avoiding it more because that he does have this sort of attraction for Rose you feel like at the time but but he's sort of offended that she doesn't think of him that way you know so the embarrassment is more like you know being next to Jack you know and and kind of you know whose screwdriver is smaller or whose gun or whatever all that kind of thing yeah it's Um, it's sonic whereas with with sometimes with the 11th doctor you get more like that it's just the idea of it is like you know icky Icky or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah, so didn't necessarily need to go down that road that far, but, like, it is kind of, it's there. It's kind of funny. Um, but it definitely, yeah, there definitely is a difference in how questions of romance and sex mm-hmm. and all of that are sort of being brought up here. Um, and... So back to sort of River Song and stuff. I mean, so at the beginning we get, you know, Rory coming to her to ask for her help, right? It's sort of in the mustering of the allies. Mm -hmm. uh, And she refuses, Um, which, of course, at the time we don't know why. But it's, uh, you know, she goes, well, this is the day that the doctor finds out who I am or whatever. So there's, I wanted to talk about that a little bit because, like, on the one hand, it's like, well, you know, there there is the question of, you know, like, if she had gone, like, would things have turned out differently? Well, probably not, because, like, the baby still was just right. a flesh baby. Like, it wasn't the real baby. So, right. you know, I mean, could she really have turned things out? But there's also a sense of, like, she is sort of being heartless. Because in the words that she says to Rory... It's like, you know, this is the day Doctor finds out who I am and, like, I can't be there because, you know, he's going to be great, but he also is going to have, like, his lowest point and, mm-hmm. you know, until he kind of goes through that. Like, yeah. So there's, like, you know, it's like that classic, like, are you causing that low point by mm. not helping out? And, you know, is there... Like, if you helped out, would it be that he would never even have to get there or... Or is it necessary for him to get there? And, you know, right. You know, it's like at some point, you know, you have to teach your kids to be able to cross the street on their own and hope they don't get hit by a car. You know what I mean? Right. Like, um, which is sort of a funny reversal too. Right. Like that, a lesson like, you have to learn the hard way. Yeah. Like there's just no other way to do it. And so, um, 
you know, but there is, I mean, again, and, and we've talked about this many times in Doctor Who, so it's not like the first time, you know, that we've talked about this. But yeah, that, you know, are you, is your action or refusal to act, you know, sort of causing the mm-hmm. the situation that you're hoping to avoid or, sure. you know, need whatever. So, um Well, and I kind of also, another angle, I always took it that she can't help and she can't, that this is another one of those paradoxes that, that if she helps and changes things, how could she be there to help? You know, like, would she undermine her own origin story in a way like that that this is yeah one of those you know this is the same reason why she you know sacrifices herself in silence in the library you know because if the doctor dies then that will undo their whole relationship that like sure. if she were to help here and you know, maybe actually help them win, you know, or, you know, and save the baby or, or change things, you know, can, would you have the same river if Melody doesn't get taken at the end? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And that, that might be true as well. So, I mean, and I think both are valid, right? Like, yeah. You know, is it one of those things like, yes, the doctor, you know, they say like, um, for like addicts right like they won't seek help until they've hit bottom and it's you have but you have to let them hit bottom like sure you know as hard as that may be to watch or whatever um Mm -hmm. and i'm not you know that may not be a universal truth that's just what the saying is but um you know that's not an argument for not helping people per se but in this case it kind of is river's argument for not helping the doctor it's it's almost that he has to hit bottom before you know i can help him in any way and so uh he kind of does do that and when it's there that's when she finally does come um Mm -hmm. and sort of and well and reveals who she well at least points out you know yeah look at what that says yeah hey it's my name yeah (laughs) Uh, (laughs) in not so many words so um no but i think you do get um so on the one hand, you can justify why she doesn't help and it makes sense and it's not totally, you know, despicable. But on the other hand, you do understand the doctor's sort of anger when she does show up that, you know, he has right. been there, you right. know, every time he's there to catch her when she jumps off of buildings and like, you know, does all her crazy stunts. And, you know, this is if this is him hitting rock bottom, you know, and she kind of wasn't Let's there, him, yeah. you know, pointedly, you know. And then gives him a big long lecture about it. You know, everything he did wrong. Right, right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, no, you do kind of get, you know, which is sort of, you know, all becomes sort of uh, less important in once he realizes who she is. Like that revelation sort of, you know kind of puts things in perspective a little bit like they kind of don't really finish their argument you know but um but it's good to see like that relationship going you know getting more and more challenging you know that they actually are starting to challenge each other and get angry and you know um 
you know, as they're getting closer and closer, that's what people do, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. And and that's the thing. It's like, I'm not, and I don't mean to suggest that, like, she is or isn't wrong. It's just, it's more the just pointing out Yeah. that that's, that that's the way things go. Like, that's, yeah, I don't know. I mean, she clearly, I mean, and that's the thing is, like, she, right, what does she say? She says, you know, I always know. I'm from the future, mm. right? I always know where we are. <laughs> like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I know what's going to happen next because I've lived through it already. So there's, um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I just think that that had to have been hard for her though, even knowing that it has to happen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's still that idea that she maybe. Yeah. Like, even with, like, again, going back to the parent example of, you know, you know that you have to let your kids do certain things and that if you don't, that it'll cause further problems. Mm. Um, That doesn't make it easy. Like, simply knowing you should do something doesn't doesn't make it easier to actually do it. It just funny that funny that we're talking about River as the parent in this situation when he's the baby. I had that, and I think that's part of the irony is that she is the one who knows everything, and she's always been this like really enigmatic, wise, all-knowing character. And then we find out that she is the product of you know Amy and Rory and their relationship with the Doctor. You know, like would they still have had a baby if they'd never met the Doctor? Sure, but she wouldn't have extra super special time lord abilities and be river song you know Mm. like she would be somebody different so in that sense she's like the child of these characters rather than the other way around but because of the timeline it seems like she knows everything and she's sort of having to let them make the mistakes which are what shape her life (laughs) you know Yeah. yeah yeah no absolutely and and i had a moment of that like thinking not quite in those words, obviously, but, you know, just thinking along those lines when we were talking about uh, a minute ago, the doctor and and river and sort of, yeah, the childlikeness of the doctor and stuff. So, um, yeah, no, that's definitely true. So, but yeah, so just thinking about it like that, I mean, like, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't make it easier. So, I mean, there probably was, you know, at least maybe a, a, fledgling moment of doubt in river's mind of you know is there anything i can do no unfortunately i can't i have to do that that doesn't knowing that doesn't necessarily make it easy an easy thing to do um so all of that um and then of course you brought up river's death which i was going to bring up Mm -hmm. because going back to the conversations about her physiology and dna and genetic structure or whatever uh the big question there is, could she have regenerated? Right. Um, yeah. And that's a great question. I, you know, I don't know. And maybe that question will get some attention at some point. Um, we do. I mean, um, I, I, I know that like, just because it's possible to regenerate doesn't mean that it's always possible to regenerate. Right. Like, right. so um, we saw the doctor like getting, killed in the middle of his regeneration just Mm -hmm. in this season so like and there are 
you know, there are Time Lords who clearly die before they're right. able to regenerate. So, like, maybe, maybe, maybe that's just the thing is that, you know, she does die and her consciousness gets pulled into the computer or whatever. So, like, there's that yeah. whole, like, she doesn't really quite die, but sure. um, aspect of it, too. So, like, there's, you know, so potentially there are answers to that, but I don't know if yeah. like that's all we get. <laughs> yeah. No, the, it, it, that question will be addressed. Moffat has not forgotten it <laughs> and will, or if he forgot it, he remembers it, it again. <laughs> or if he forgot it, he does remember it eventually. So, so yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, stay tuned for more on rivers, regenerative abilities. So, but yeah, no, I mean that, I mean, you would be crazy not to sort of think about that in light of uh -huh. this episode and these revelations. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, that yeah. actually, and I, and I should just mention before we move off of river that the whole, um, you know, the, the, they don't have a word for pond or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the word for water is river or whatever, um, reminded yeah. me of Ursula K. Le Guin's, uh, novel the word for world is forest um, mm. which is not about any of the things in this episode per se but mm -hmm. you know just the fact that they come from like the gamma forest and you know like which sounds like it's a world of forest you know what I mean like yeah sort of like that's the implication and um, yeah that they they don't have a concept of river or a pond. Or sorry. a pond, yeah. They don't have ponds Right, in the and so just, so, like, yeah. anyway, so it just reminded me of that novel, which is actually yeah. pretty good. I recommend it. But um, anyway, go. so we've talked a long time about River. Yes. And a few other things. Um, Anything else you want to say about, um, I know a couple minutes we should, talk about Madame Kovarian, the eye patch lady and sort of her, uh, you know, her whole plan, <laughs> whatever it is, you know, to get river. Did yeah. you, was that a good, um, it's a pretty good psych out, I think with the second use of the flesh with the baby. Um, yeah. Although that one. So, okay. Then the reveal of, I think I was saying to you, but I don't think I said it on the podcast yet. The reveal of River and Melody being the same person, um, I was getting, you know, as it was being revealed, I was like, like, I, yeah. I, I did not know this. Like, it hadn't been spoiled yeah. for me, which I'm thankful for. Which is great. Um, I was sure that was going to be, so I was happy that it wasn't. Yeah, no, I did not know that. So, uh, the other, so, like, as, as, um they're repeating that line of, you know, River saying the, or I think it's River, right? Who says the word for water is river or whatever. Mm -hmm. blah, blah. Like, like it was occurring to me, but then like, also you get like sort of Amy revealing, you know, the word yeah. river on the thing. So it's like, like it was all happening within like split seconds of each other that I was yeah. realizing this was going on. So like, I can't really say that like, I got that one, <laughs> you know, sure. it was, yeah sort of emerging as yeah. it's intended to in the As story. Moffat wanted it to. Yeah. yeah. Um, all hail Moffat. So uh, mm -hmm. 
the baby flesh thing, though, I picked out a little bit before. Did you? That's good. I think yeah. that one got by me. Yeah, I actually was like, it like there was definitely a haunting sensation of, mm. oh no, yeah. the baby is flesh. Yeah, like it. I don't know, like nothing in nothing in particular, like made me think that. It's just like, what's the most terrible thing that could happen right now? Yeah, it's that. Well, and I think my instinct like I think I channeled be... Moffat in that moment. Like it's like, what is <laughs> the, the most worst possible awful thing, that thing that I could possibly do to these characters right now? And um, I think my my that... instinct would would be for it to be Amy to be flesh again or something mm-hmm. like that. That she has both of them or something. But like the idea that the baby just turns to like goo in her hand is well, such yeah. a horrifying image. I was not expecting that per se, <laughs> but like that that it was switched and yeah. yeah. But but I was I was thinking that they it was still got the baby. Flesh. Yeah, I, yeah. I was not expecting it to turn into a pile of mush. <laughs> that was that's I mean one of the creepiest things I've like ever seen. I think, and I've seen yeah. some pretty damn creepy things. Um, <laughs> no, I just like and the look of horror, I, and I, I mean mm. rightfully so on Amy's face when that yeah. happens is just incredible. Like, I mean, yeah. go Karen. Like, great yeah. acting in that moment. Of yeah. Just being able to sort of, like... Totally distraught, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, to- I, I mean, I, I... Again, it it was... I mean, I'm not saying I predicted it, like, at the beginning of the episode or anything. Sure. But, like, but there... That one, I definitely had this sinking feeling, like before it was actually revealed that that was true i'm like this it's got to be the baby the baby is not um because they switch it they they pick her up at one point right yeah which is um, always a bad sign yeah because i mean clearly when she's delivering the baby it's not flesh then i mean it's a brand new baby like you're Right. right there i mean tv wise you're right there in the room with them right so like yeah like clearly it's not but then they like bring it out and bring her back and it's like yeah. Like I didn't realize it at that point, but later I was like, "Oh, yeah. No. Yeah. That's no. not the real baby." <laughs> well, and um, you do get this kind of the doctor it's going, you know, better than anybody expected and and the doctor's getting kind of cocky and you know, it's usually not a good sign and, and you know. And knowing like hearing Oh, uh, what's the eye patch lady's name again? Kovarian. Kovari. Yeah. So like hearing her like explaining like we have to let the doctor think he's winning like you know that there's got to be some turn some evil evil mastermind plan (laughs) yeah um, that's gonna make you know things worse and so this goes back to the question of motivations right so what what is the motivations behind this so sort of some of the explanation that we get or at least the plausible theory that we get is that um, they want to use Amy well Melody sorry not Amy mm. uh, Melody as a weapon of some sort mm-hmm. and I love that like when the doctor's like how could anyone use a time lord as a weapon and it's like yeah. have you seen what you've been doing like yeah. the fact that you just like blew up an entire you know, right. Cyberman or whatever army or navy yeah. space navy uh 
like are you really asking this question like this yeah. is and what has just all happened in that one room of yeah you know all the fighting and stuff so yeah i love that that just floors him he that like blindsides him yeah. like he he really you know does not you know or hasn't been you know i think this kind of shows you what a long way he's come since the first season when we have Dr. Nine sort of fresh out of the time war, who I did think of, I think he thought of himself, maybe not as a weapon necessarily, but thought of himself as dangerous, dangerous yeah, yeah, you know, and, you know, by now we've got a lot further from that. I think he's much more assured that he's one of the good guys than he used to be. Um, you know, not to say that he's not one of the good guys, but you know what I mean? That like, right. You know, even though he is at this point achieving things far beyond the scope of what we ever saw at the beginning, you know, like we yeah. saw what he could do in the big bang, you know, like, you know, yeah. escaping from the Pandorica, you know, against all of those enemies, rebooting time, you know, He's rewriting people's whole histories and lives, you know, yep. in the Christmas Carol. He's he's getting this like, you know, the silence which has been there from the beginning of humanity. He gets them, you know, overthrown. Like he's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and losing, I think, touch with what that means and what that means he's capable of. Sure. You know? Well, and I think like to some degree that that is Maybe if we're if we can like sort of psychoanalyze the doctor here for a minute, sure. Um, if we haven't already been, um, <laughs> like that's the best part. <laughs> it seems it seems to me like there's in his mind these aren't this isn't war, right? This isn't right. him battling. It's just like things that need to be done. He's yeah. checking things off like a task list, you know, right. of like well the universe isn't right. So I need to reboot it, you know, yeah. like, Oh, I need to restart my computer because it's acting kind of funky, you know, right, like, right. like this yeah. isn't the, it, that moment, especially I think when he's talking with the Silurian, I, there is a sort of moment of glass shattering, like realization yeah. that, Oh, this is what war is <laughs> like, yeah. like I, I just thought these were all things that just sort of needed to happen. Yeah. Um, be, but you also get the sense in this episode, like with the, hey, I'm here, you know, Rory saying I'm here to deliver a message from the doctor. Mm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, and then all of these spaceships start blowing up. It's What's like, the message? Yeah. Yeah. That, like, <sighs> this is not the... I will give them one chance doctor either. Right. You know, right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like there was really, there was no warning there. And I mean, not saying that Cybermen should get a chance. They sure. were Cybermen, right? Like, I, yes. keep, I think I've said that a couple of times. Yeah. I, I, there were, there's like so many bad guys in like, or versions of yeah. former enemies anyway, yeah, 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 where yeah. like, I trying to remember them all, but, um, yeah, no, totally. You know, this yeah, this is this is him like you don't even get a warning. This is, you know. Yeah. You tell us where this is and by the way, I'm blowing up most of your 
Yeah, your warning is me blowing up, like, you know, most of your fleet. <laughs> yeah. So. No, and I don't think it is, like, I think you're right that it is, you know, as, as, and that's why the characterization is interesting, because as he's, in a way, becoming more innocent, his thinking is more innocent, too, that he doesn't mean it as an act of war, necessarily, in the way that, you know, uh, like he like I think you're right that he doesn't think of himself in those terms right you know like because he doesn't go out and attack or because he doesn't carry a gun or you know or because he was you know provoked you know because these are his friends and he's protecting them mm -hmm. you know or or like you said these are just things that need to to happen for what he is trying to do yeah based on his assessment he's not of, right you know, he's not thinking of himself as this warrior but his actions are because he has this ability, you know, to outwit everyone and pretty much do whatever he wants. <laughs> so yeah. he, you know, it's not until after it's done that, you know, people like, you know, the Silurian Vastra or, you know, or River can say, um, you might want to take a look at some of this, you know, and I think that's a... Yeah interesting idea that you know other cultures you know have a slightly different interpretation of what doctor means and what he means um or vastly different vastly different well i think it's an interesting progression to go you get them talking about again like the 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 clerics or whatever talking about he's not a demon or a phantom or a trickster which reminds me of the pandorica stuff you know that you know mm. that he, there was a a trickster or or yep. a wizard or you know or a goblin or, yeah, or whatever some kind of yeah weird. yeah and they're all like they're all like kind of antagonistic but none of them are like they're always like shadowy figures like tricksters and goblins you know it's not like you know not dark lords you malicious, know yeah yeah like it's kind of but in this you get a progression from that to mighty warrior you know that here the yeah. doctor means to the people of the gamma forest you know he means mighty warrior um and kovarian certainly seems to think she's in a war with the doctor you know <laughs> the doctor if you kind of get the idea that it's news to him but um yeah but she believes herself to be in a war and that you know i think what we the little we get of her motivation that seems to be it that she's waging war and the doctor's her enemy and river is her weapon to end it and you know that's about all we get um yeah we don't know but why that weapon would work or you know like how she would use river as a weapon or whatever like we don't right. know any of that yet anyway mm -hmm. um yeah. So I have one other thing to bring up, too. If we can kind of keep on... I don't think there's too much more to say about Kavarian. Um, so I want to kind of stick with the Doctor for a minute. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't... Uh, I have a book here. I don't know whether this is intentional on Moffat's part. I suspect it might be, because Moffat's pretty well-read. Um, but I have here... The Once and Future King by T.H. White. Oh, sure. Which is one of my favorites. Um, and 
in talking about the doctor's sort of morality in this episode, um, you know, we get a good man goes to war in the title and that's repeated in the verse. And uh, you get this little discussion of, um, uh, he says something about, you know, he's angry and he's not sure what he's going to do. And Kervarian says, you know, we don't have to worry about the anger of a good man. Good men have too many rules. And he says, good men don't need rules. Today isn't the day to find out why I have so many, you know. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I I suspect that that's a lift from the Once and Future King. Um, okay. Because uh, in that story, the way T.H. White interprets Lancelot um, is, you know, Lancelot is very pious you know he's very okay. concerned in that novel with his morality and his you know but not just so morality in terms of his honor and his chivalry but piety you know doing things according to biblical christian you know values okay. you know sure. and what you get in the story is at this least explanation, the medieval interpretation the of medieval version of right. that yeah um so um but he specifically talks about the reason for this, you know, um, and, you know, and how do you reconcile that? Like, so he's trying to make sense of the Arthurian stories. How do you reconcile a, a super pious character who values chivalry and morality above everything, but also runs off with the hero's wife, you know? Mm. <laughs> so, you know, how do those two things make sense? And yeah. the way White deals with it is that it's because of his own knowledge and inclination for his own sin basically that mm -hmm. he goes so far out of his way to be good and pious um so like i found a quote that he says you know his word was valuable to him not only because he was good but because he was bad it is the bad people who need to have principles to restrain them um like the idea being if you're just naturally good then you don't have to worry about it your instincts are right you're going to do the selfless thing without the prompting. And it's, you know, it's all the bad people who need, like, commandments and doctrine to, like, keep them in line. And that Lancelot's obsession with that is what, you know, holds him back. Um, mm. Or his knowledge of his own kind of, you know, temptation to go the other way is why he clings so hard to those values. Um, which I think puts an interesting spin on the doctor if you think of it that way he says you know he he has a lot of rules <laughs> yeah so which means by implication he's not a good man and that he has the rules to restrain him so think about things like the doctor's insistence of never carrying the gun you know like how mm. you know uh fundamentalist he is about that rule you know and i just think it you know, I think the doctor's having a slight kind of reawakening here, remembering why he had those rules to begin with, you know. Um, you know, and I think he has kind of, as he's gotten, you know, they say you've never risen higher. As he gets bigger and bigger and bigger and can achieve greater and greater things, he's maybe even sort of been taking for granted the fact that he's always going to do the right thing. Um and it's kind of a wake-up call to realize that's not always true. And, you know, in the meantime, 
your best friends just lost their baby. So it's <laughs> yeah. sort of like, yeah, yeah. you know. Anyway, it's whether or not Moffat lifted that, I kind of think he did. But I think it's an interesting I, interpretation. Yeah. I think I read that book in high school, which is sad enough to say like 20 years ago at this point. So like, <laughs> I don't know that I would have ever picked that out, but sure. Well, it's, it seems... it's, it's one of my favorites. So as whenever the first time I heard that quote in the episode, I immediately thought you thought of that, oh, yeah. you know, hmm. um, so, cause it's an interesting, you know, it's an unusual idea. I think, you know, yeah. most times we think of the heroes are the ones who, you know, are naturally heroic. They're good people. You know, they do the right thing because they're heroes. Um, and this kind of suggests that that might not quite be the case for the doctor, that he might have to choose to be the hero on occasion, <laughs> you know, or maybe he's a hero because he goes out of his way to be, you know, mm. um, like, it, again, it reminds me of the Moffat line in that story, um, continuity errors where they say like okay is he a hero because he's a hero or he's a, is he a hero because he tells everyone he's a hero <laughs> so right it, you know it just puts a slightly darker you know i think we're getting a more an increasingly dark even as he's getting more innocent in a way that only highlights the darkness a little bit more because when he's that innocent he's occasionally sort of careless um yeah. whereas yeah. you feel like the ninth doctor's you know, traumatic, self-inflicted guilt keeps him safer. You know, mm -hmm. like, he's not going to let himself get to that point because he's seen what can happen, you know? Yeah, and it's fresh. And, and it's fresh. There, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... And so interesting that this is, and of course this is River's interpretation of the yeah. Doctor's darkest hours, but we've seen some pretty dark yeah. hours as well. Yeah. And I actually, like, and it's, it might even be that conflict, like, we're sort of identifying here of that he does seem to be more innocent and, and naive in some ways, and yet darker and more dangerous in others, in part mm. because of his seeming innocence and naivete. Yeah. So I guess I'm curious to know what you think of, like, as far as this being the doctor's darkest hour, like, you know, it... I, I, I always did feel a little bit let down by that. Um, okay, good. Cause I did too. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. you said that. Cause like, yeah, I, I wasn't sure. Like, I wasn't sure if I just missed something or whatever, like, <laughs> yeah. but like, it, no, like, I think that's a slight, I think there's a slight dropping of the ball there that, you know, well, certainly this is a dark hour. Um, is it the darkest, even from what we've seen? Well, and I was going to say know? like, even like maybe from River's perspective, it's his right. darkest. Like, right. And like, that's a good, that's a good way to kind of, make it work is to say that's her interpretation and it's not, you know, cause I, I can point to some other episodes we've seen already that I think 
you know, would would qualify. Um, well, and I would, I but I also was gonna say like, but all the stuff we've seen, even with like him and River together, she doesn't know about yet. Right. So like, like we can't really count that against her statement here if we're yeah. thinking of it solely from her perspective. So, yeah. but on the other hand, she has. Maybe has to is a strong word. I would think that at this point she knows some of the intimate details of his time in the Time War and other stuff that he's been mm. through. Yeah. So. Right. So. Like it's hard to it's hard for me to it's hard for me to understand exactly what's going on there. And maybe it's maybe we, the answer is we should take this as one of those things that we shouldn't think about too hard. Don't think about it too hard. Um, Philip Sandifer, who has a blog, has an interesting interpretation of this episode, which I wasn't going to bring this up, but since you brought it up. Um, he, so his, I don't know how much, I would be nice to think that he's right and this is what Moffat meant by it. I don't know that I can go this far. Um, his interpretation of this episode and that idea that, and I think that's not uncommon for people, because what he's responding to is people who are disappointed by that, like, really, this is the dark, like, I was all prepared for, like, something super, like, another, like, Waters of Mars or something, and, you know. And, yeah, oh, yeah, you know, I didn't even think of that one, but, yeah, that's another good one. Like, that's, to me, that would be an obvious example Time for Victorious candidate, you know. Of, yeah. um, and I think what Sandifer says is that... Um, his interpretation of this episode is that it's kind of about subverting the expectation of the Amy plot. So he kind of sees the Amy story is like this, you know, kind of adventure cliche of like, you know, a rape revenge plot. So Amy is sort of stolen and kind of metaphorically raped, I guess. And, and, you know, and then the, the, you know, male hero gets to ride in and and rescue her and get revenge on everybody and that you know and it's setting you up for this whole like angsty devastating conclusion and i think his interpretation his interpretation is that if you're wanting this to be the doctor's darkest hour there's something wrong with you <laughs> and like that like the point of it is that at the end it doesn't go that way it goes the other way and it turns into this like kind of happy ending with a reunion and you know um and, and the characters revelation. all sort of reconciling and and things pretty much ending on an up note rather than on this like devastating like amy's traumatized and the doctor slaughters everybody you know like something that's more like expected so i think from if i understood his essay that's kind of what he would say is that if you're disappointed good that's what you should be, you know, because it was setting you up for something and then like subverting your expectations at the last minute. I don't know whether I buy that that's what Moffat had in mind. Sure. Um, and I don't know that I buy that it's bad necessarily to feel a little bit disappointed if an episode sort of promises something and then doesn't deliver. Um, you know, so... Well, yeah, I mean, so on the, you know, did Moffat intend that? I mean, 
okay, we've talked before about, you know, how much does authorial intent really matter anyway. So, like, sure. I could at least say, like, okay, well, whether or Who not Moffat intended. Wanted, this is what it is. Yeah. Right. But, like, but it's River who says it. That's yeah. the thing that sort of gets me, is, like, River who we've already learned so intimately knows the doctor and knows the future from our perspective, which is the past from her perspective. Yeah. And from a fairly mature standpoint in the, her relationship with the doctor. Yeah. Not, you know, this isn't like, like, and we, we were even just talking about earlier, like this isn't, you know, this is, I mean, she and the doctor clearly are not, you know, in a parent child relationship, but there are also aspects of, you know, that she is the adult in the relationship. So, you know, like there's, there's this sense of, you know, she's looking at it with wisdom and experience and discernment and restraint and all of these other qualities that are generally good things and making this determination of, this very bold, you know, assured determ- uh, assessment of this is the doctor's darkest hour. So, like, forgetting Moffat's intent and retconning it to say, well, you're all sick if you expect it <laughs> to be this way. Just yeah. looking at it from within the story, like... It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. That yeah. this is actually the Doctor Darkest And hour. I think that's why I don't feel bad for feeling let down by it. <laughs> yeah. Like, just because, yeah. Like, yeah. Because if it is the Doctor Darkest Hour, like, I'm not sure where that, like, what's, okay, so what's the low point in the episode? Is it, I mean, is she saying it because she gets reamed out by the Doctor for her little speech? <laughs> like, you know right. what I mean? Like, Right. I, I mean, I guess, but that also, like, then, then again, you're not coming at it from the wisdom and right, all of that stuff. So, yeah. you know, I don't know. Um, anyway. Yeah, I mean, to me, it just strikes me as something which sounds great at the top of an episode and then fails to really, you know, it's a line that should have been cut, I think. Because um, it's perfectly fine without it. You know, it can it can stand as one of his big mistakes without the kind of dramatic claim that it's, you know, his yeah. lowest point. Because um, that doesn't really gel with the well, story. It doesn't gel with what's come before. And I have a feeling we're going to see plenty of dark days to come. So it like, yeah. you know, it it just doesn't work. Right, and which it feels, she now would already have known about like yeah because it's right if nothing else if nothing else she has to know about the time war you know there's no way in my mind that that this beats that as you know his darkest hour (laughs) like you know um so yeah i i agree i i Um, that line usually that that kind of does bother me and that she goes on to say he'll rise higher than ever before and then fall, fall so much further. So it's like, like it's not, it's, she do, she doesn't just leave it as Doctor's Darkest Hour. It's like everything in, yeah. in what's about to happen is superlative here. Yeah. Uh, 
And I don't, I just, yeah, I don't see what yeah. it is. So, I mean, I don't want to dump all over it too much, but. No, I think, it, I think the episode is fine. You know, if we didn't have those superlatives, you know, like it's only the superlatives that draw attention to the fact that it's not the biggest thing ever, you know, like right. otherwise there's really no problem with it, you know, so. No, yeah, no, there's not. So, I think that's just a little bit of getting carried away with the big dramatic dialogue, rhetoric, you know, and yeah. kind of, you know. So, okay. Um, we're over time. Any uh, thoughts of, we should probably talk about Rory and Amy at least a little bit. Yeah. I mean, you know, okay, go Rory, you know, where's my wife, yada, yada, yada. Um, <laughs> he calls her Amy Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, of course, the baby's last name is Pond. So, like, we see how long that sticks. <laughs> yeah, Melody Pond is a superhero. Um, I mean, you know, okay, so his warrior outfit is the Centurion, which is, you know, still hitting on that yeah. costume. I mean, which is funny. Giving That's a lot I'm, of mileage out of he, that costume. Uh, yeah, I mean, I actually don't have a whole lot for... Strangely enough, for Amy and Rory. Um, yeah, I was, I mean, I was just going to say, like, Amy, um, I don't know that I have a ton. I mean, you know, in the beginning, she's very much like the, you know, like, I, I kind of like the overdub, you know, the voiceover, like, dialogue and stuff, mm -hmm. um, you know, where she's saying, like, you know, basically telling eyepatch lady like they're coming for me so are you ready <laughs> you know yeah. kind of thing but mm -hmm. then of course she is so you know it's like well okay yeah yeah actually we are ready for them to come so. yeah that's kind um, of the point yeah <laughs> right we want them to come um so yeah i don't know i have a lot i i found like i was a little curious about her interactions with um the soldier lady, Lorna. Yeah, Lorna. Um, yeah, there's some good stuff in there as kind of the the companion and the kind of would-be companion. Um, you know, like there's stuff about, you know, she met the doctor when she was little too. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and kind of pursued the rest of her life, you know, sort of like Donna. Um trying to find him again, you know, um, hmm. and became a soldier trying to find him again because right. that's and where you meet. Putting soldiers. herself in situations. Right. Right. Yeah. So, and that's what, that's where we get the, right. The first sort of hint of like, well, well, of course, yeah. If you're trying to meet the doctor, why wouldn't you join an army? An army like, yeah. Because eventually he's going to meet you. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that he's like a dark legend and, yeah. You know, Amy's thinking of bow ties, like dark, what are you talking about? You know? Yeah. Clearly you've never met him. Um, but but that wistfulness. <laughs> oh, why do of, they call him doctor? Like Yeah. Like that's her like of course he's a soldier. Like why that why do they call him the doctor if he's not a soldier warrior guy? Yeah. Like Duh. <laughs> that's what but, a doctor is, apparently. But like that wistfulness of um you know, that he he came back for Amy, you know, and she says, yeah. well, you must be very special. Yeah. You know, so there's, you know, again, something as much as the companions are 
the ordinary people that we can relate to. They're also sort of special and chosen, you know, and not everyone, you know, and you kind of get, I always think it's really sad when she's dying and he tells her, you know, of course I remember you. I remember everyone. Mm-hmm. He doesn't remember her. <laughs> and like, well, no. uh, you know, and that's the certainly the, being... the, the impression I get is, you know, that, yeah. you know, he oh, doesn't, yeah. he doesn't, he meets so many people. Um, well, well, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a couple things there. I mean, one, we, we have seen in the past that the doctor does have a better memory than that's true. the average person. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't dismiss it that quickly that he doesn't necessarily remember everyone. But um, I was actually thinking more along the lines of that he hasn't met her yet. Oh, it could be. I mean, I, I don't know that. Uh, well, we haven't seen Lorna again in this in the series. So, you know, somebody could do that someday, I'm sure. But, you know, or I don't know. Yeah, but. Or there's nothing to contradict yeah. it. So no, that's what I'm saying. It's like I don't, I don't know what the answer is, or that there even is a canonical answer for as much mm. as that means. Um, I'm just saying that, like that, I I sort of, I took it at least as a plausible possibility mm. that that he simply hasn't met her yet, and that he was lying and saying he remember. I mean, either way, he's lying, right? Either right, he does. I mean, he could, he might actually remember her. I think yeah. we both sort of see that as the least plausible. I always um, took it as a lie. Whether that means he just hasn't met her yet, though, I that never occurred to me. But that could definitely be true. Um, or, yeah, it could be that he totally met her at some point and he really doesn't remember because he is 900-some-odd years old. It could have been many iterations of the Doctor ago. Sure. As well. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I, I like your comparison, though, of her to Donna uh, in that way. I hadn't really quite thought about it like that. But I think you're right. Like, this is. And the obvious question then is how how many others are out there right. like her right. looking for the doctor that he hasn't that he hasn't and never will run into bump into so i don't know yeah no there's something very melancholy about that character yeah 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 um and of course we've gotten that before too right right like with elton and linda yeah sure (laughs) you know and all of that kind of thing like the doctor spotters yeah yeah i mean elton does eventually run into him again obviously but you know very briefly and not yeah you know not to no, great but effect the ones, per se, but the only ones we see are the ones who have the encounters. But yeah, like you're right. You know, there could be an infinite amount of well, no, you know, I mean people who've had an encounter, as they say. You know, and well, um, I, I was gonna say actually in that in in Love and Monsters, I mean there are the the whole group of Linda. Yeah. Uh, does not get to meet the Doctor except for Elton and. And right. the face of what's her name? Ursula. The yeah. face of Ursula. The uh, face of Ursula. Um, you not know, the face of Bo. Not the face of Bo. Uh, so, you know, they're like, I mean, those are people who would want to 
you know, who were looking for the doctor and don't ever get to, you know what I mean? So, um, or at least, or get to again, if, if some of them might've met him previously. So yeah, there is that whole, that whole sense of there could be, there could be hundreds, thousands, possibly millions of people literally all over the universe looking for the doctor at any given point in time, perhaps. Um, or at all given points in time, perhaps, mm-hmm. um, you know, throughout. Um, so there is a certain, yeah, like you said, you called it, you said melancholy there. I think that's a good explanation of it. Um, anyway, we should probably move on. Don't well, have, I, I was going to say, I don't have really anything to say about the headless monks per se. Yeah, there's not. I don't think there's too much. Just I think they're kind of funny. It's it's the attack prayer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of, you know, they're kind of funny. Like you know, nothing too exciting about them. I mean, they're kind of standard, like Grim Reapery, Dementor. You know, mm-hmm. Black Rider. Yeah. You know, S. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but creepy uh, things with hoods. Creepy things with hoods. Um. And it kind of an expansion on what we saw with the clerics in uh, the time of angels, where this it's sort of this army slash church. Um, you yeah, get yeah. more of that this episode. You know, you get the sense that this is. I don't know how this fits in that timeline, but they're kind of that same thing of the clerics, and they take instruction from the papal mainframe. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, and they have these these monks. Um, yep. with sword. So, yeah, this kind of weird, like, empire of, you know, church and army at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, very and, much the Holy Roman Empire kind of yeah. feel to it. Yeah. 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 What does he say in the time of ages? The 51st century, and the church has moved on. Um, right. But, and so you get, um, you get... The, you know, you get confirmation that the monks convert people by chopping off their heads, and then they become sort of these mindless drones, just like the rest of them. So you get Dorium being beheaded at the end. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I don't have a whole lot else to say about them, really. Yep. All right, well, I guess at this point we shall have to wait and see. Well, you know what? Really quick before we start, we do have to say something about the these other allies that the doctor has um, because they're a little bit important because um, we're going to see them again. Um, the the Silurian Vastra and her, you know, maid slash lover Jenny and uh, the Suntaran Strax, um, who actually. We haven't met these characters before, but uh, Nev McIntosh, who plays Vastra, played Alea and Restek in The Hungry Earth, so she's familiar. And um, Dan Starkey, who plays Strax, was one of the Silurans, er, one of the Santarans when they did the Santaran episodes way back. So, you know, we haven't met those characters, but they're familiar mm-hmm. actors and everything. Um, sure. And so, you know, we talked about them, you know, maybe there's not too much more to say, but um, kind of, we haven't really had that in the show. Like, 
you know, we've met good aliens and aliens who were on, who were like good guys and on the doctor's side, but he hasn't really had alien, these, these guys don't quite qualify as companions, but like, they're more active than like, you know, mm -hmm. they generally are. So it's kind of new in the yeah. show for the doctor to have this sort of entourage of, you know, multi-species and, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so. I was, I was like, I was thinking even like Ud Sigma might come right. closest, but right, yeah, even he wasn't really like, yeah, I don't know that he quite fits the bill in the same yeah. way. So, hmm, interesting. So, anyway, just wanted to, uh, we have not seen the last of them, so I just wanted to, fair enough, you know, acknowledge them. Yep. yep. Okay. All right. Now we can, now we can and should move on. On to Angel. So. On yes. to Angel. Yes. So she, do you think that's a direct reference to uh, Ryder Haggard? <laughs> I, I don't know. I actually did, I did try to find that uh, out and I could not find any confirmation that that is yeah, the case. That that was, um, yeah. Having just read that. And I know you recently read it as well. For the class. For our class, yeah. yeah. Um, I I would have to say no, because I don't see yeah. a ton of overlap. Other mm -hmm. than that, there's like... She and she. Right, yeah. Uh, is, you know, in, in the Haggard story, uh, does not seem anything like the she in this she sure uh to me i don't know if you have a different perspective i'm i'm curious to hear it but i did i did consider that and i did try to look up to see if there was a direct reference yeah no i couldn't think of anything in particular um it just struck me funny since we since that book uh was in conversation recently so mm -hmm. i thought i would pose it but um but let's start with she herself um, Jira, who I have to admit, with Biling, I have to mm -hmm. forcibly remove memories of uh, the worst episode of Lost. <laughs> and I'm a big sure. Lost fan, so I'm not sure. I'm not a hater generally, but um, but yeah, she did give Jack his tattoos. So sometimes it's hard for me, you know, to you know so. Biling's not my favorite, but I don't know how much of that is just, you know, how much I would feel like that on my own, and how much is that because I'm sort of having memories of what else I've seen her in. Sure. Um, Fair enough. But, yeah. So, anyway, that's my, that's my reservations, kind of, my biases put up front, anyway. Um but, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like she's she's been in a lot of sort of low budget stuff. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 you know, bit bit parts, you know, uh, yeah. guest guest roles and stuff. I don't I don't know that she's really starred in a ton of things. Mm -hmm. Um anything perhaps. Um so I you know, I I I don't I don't know that I would consider her one of the great 
actresses of our time necessarily. <laughs> um, and honestly, like this episode, like it's okay. I'm not mm -hmm. like, I'm not struck by it. Like I, they kind of, so we've talked about how the metaphors in Angel are obviously, you know, more adult and more yeah. sort of whatever. Like this one, even just this, the, the, I mean, the first season of any show, you're trying to feel your groove. And yeah, I think absolutely. this shows that to a certain extent. Like mm -hmm. this is, this is definitely, they're trying to figure out like how hard they need to hit people over the head with stuff. Yeah. Uh, and 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 I think that this one might be a little too much on the hard hitting yeah. side, uh, just from my own personal point of view. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like it 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 keeps, you know, the tension keeps building and building and building mm -hmm. and then it doesn't really go anywhere, um, mm -hmm. which is, I guess, sort of the point, like it kind of leaves unresolved and sort of that tension is never really nobody really you know angel and jira don't really ever satisfy you know the the tension which they're feeling and everything sure. um near the attraction which they're feeling but uh but they just like the scenes when they're talking to each other and they're just getting closer and closer and it's getting more and more sort of seductive and sultry and steamy and then it just kind of you know, okay. Like, they go their other ways and they seem kind of fine. So, um, yeah. I'd sort of say that about it. Um, I mean, I think what I did kind of like is um, it got a little bit more into the kind of world-building aspects. That I like how we see um, not just, you know a villain with a motive or like even like a group crashes in and like you know like you know in hero where you get the kind of you know one group pursuing another that they have to help like i think in this more so you get a sense of you know an actual culture more so um mm -hmm. that uh you know that they're from another place and that they have this sort of royal you know royal hierarchy and this sort of you know way of life that the way that they enforce you know um you know the royalty and the patriarchy and all this stuff mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. you know and that you know that she's this sort of rebel you know from the upper class who sort of escaped and rebelled and is helping all of these you know you know, refugees sort of escape and everything that's a more so than I feel like maybe Angel's done a bit more of that than Buffy even did, but I feel like this goes even further than a lot of other Angel episodes. Um, playing with kind of like trying to make another culture and how would it work and what would the people be like and everything. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. And also, so sort of alongside that is the sort of, it's the first mention of, portals as like a way for demons to kind of go between yeah worlds um i don't think we've gotten mention of like portals specifically 
in Buffy, although we have seen sort of a little yeah. bit of like dimension hopping. Yeah, I mean, I can't think of any specific. I mean, we've seen. I mean, we saw Angel go through those kind of what looked like portals. <laughs> we didn't call yeah, them that necessarily. Right, right. Um, you know, and Buffy. Was in it in Anne? Anne? In Anne, yeah. she goes through. So, yeah. Yeah, again, so again, like, yeah, we've seen them sort of going, but like, I think, um, and I talked about this, I think, way back, like, in the early days of our podcast, is that, you know, there, as Buffy and now into Angel, you know, sort of continue, you get a larger sort of multiverse view of, yeah. of, I said, I almost said of the world, but you know, it's mm. bigger than the world. It's right. It's this, you know, view of, um, and, and I think, you know, again, along the points of kind of what you're talking about is like, again, we come back to this idea of what constitutes a demon, you know, mm. is it like, you know, the idea that, you know, it is just sort of these other creatures from another dimension sort of actually downplays the the you know pejorative connotation of the word demon you know it's more like alien might almost be a better word you know sure. for what they are than than that although they're you know but and again like you know is there is there anything uh inherently evil in a demon or is it just right you know that they have different cultures and that they have different experiences and so you know we have to sort of approach them in a different way than we're used to because <laughs> we have different cultural and whatever expectations social expectations and that kind of thing um, right right and is there is there a difference between um like demons in our world like in you know, the, this particular universe, you know, and ones who kind of come crashing in from other universes, yeah. you know, like, and, sorry, God. Well, I was just going to say, I don't know that there is because we've seen demons in this world that aren't necessarily pure evil. Like we have half demons, you know, we've had the ones who were being persecuted that we saw. So we've certainly seen evidence that all demons are not uniformly, hundred percent totally you know evil and destructive all the time but um but they're the exception i mean mostly demons that we see on earth as as we know it are trying to kill and you know destroy and you know for the most part um yeah you know whereas these guys seem more like another culture you know like less of the kind of destructive monster and more like like you said like an alien from another race who just is here sort of and you know and the destruction they're causing is uh it's more than accidental but it's sort of collateral damage it's not necessarily you know right they're not necessarily looking to wreak havoc on earth right they each you know both the women and the men who follow them are sort of in their own ways, you know, yeah, like you said, collateral damage, I think is a good way to put it. Like they're not 
actively looking for victims to kill and eat and destroy or whatever. It's, you know, they just, some of it's just sort of the, the natural reactions that their bodies are having to, you know, being in this world. And then others are, right. you know, they're trying to protect each other they're or trying to protect each other or they're trying to hunt each other, get each other. Or, yeah. yeah. Like, and you know, in that respect, they'll, they'll kill people who get in the way, but they're not actively going out of their way to kill anyone. It's just, you were in my way, so I will kill you to get to what I want. So, you right. know, that kind of thing. Um, and even, I mean, so we even get a little bit of sort of what you're talking about. Like, is there a difference between demons sort of in the classical sense that we understand it here on, you know, in our world and versus, you know, sort of the more alien-ish type hmm. uh, that seem to come through portals? And my response is, like, let's keep looking at the data. Okay. <laughs> um, you know... And even, like, is that too simplistic of a categorization? You know what I mean? Like, um, the Hellmouth itself might actually just be a type of portal. You know what I mean? So, like, it might just be that there are... And we've gotten sort of, like, the concept of, quote, demon dimensions already. Mm. So, like, maybe the idea of, like, demon on this Earth is also just sort of like that they're from other dimensions but th- those dimensions they that's just all they want is to come here and kill and destroy and whatever right so might, you know might, like the two aren't necessarily mutually exclusive just as it depends um, on the demon it kind of depends on the portal you know like which particular portal are we talking about you know and it might just be that the the portals that are most active are the ones are, are active precisely because they're trying to get here to kill. Trying to break through. Yeah. Right. You know, that kind of thing. So like, I mean, there are all of those sorts of things that, um, could go into it. Uh, but we also get Wesley talking in this episode, right? Like his initial thought was, Oh, you know, maybe it's such and such demon from the Carpathian mountains. And Mm -hmm. it's like, and then, uh, you know, Angel informs them, no, they're from a different dimension. He's like, oh, they must have come through a portal. So, like, there's even this idea that it's not altogether clear, you know, yeah. whether they're sort of homegrown or distant. And does mm-hmm. that matter? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it does. Maybe it doesn't. Mm. I I would say it's definitely one of those things we should keep looking at. Um, keep watching. With, with the idea that, again, so, you know, if we are looking at Angel as a sort of more adult version of Buffy in a way. Um, that's a simplistic way to put it, but uh, yeah, then, then we can also again, you know, once again, sort of see this idea of having a larger view of the world, you know, as well. So right. of the universe of, you know, the, the world within yeah, yeah. the, you know, context of the show. Um, so yeah, so I think that's that's part of this. It's you know getting getting that there are other people out there with different struggles than us, and I and I guess that's actually kind of how I would describe it. Is um, you know very much in in the you know this will be my second reference to Ursula K. Le Guin. Mm-hmm. Um, she has sort of a classic book of essays on science fiction in America, and and one of one of the you know 
most cited, I think, of those is um, her essay on the other um, and and literally talking about those sorts of uh, those sorts of ideas that that, you know, so many problems. And, and one of the things that science fiction does well in exploring um, and I would put. So if we're thinking of demons as aliens, then I would say this is covered right by that sort of science fiction outlook speculative Um, fiction right speculative fiction (laughs) that that you know fear of the other is one of those you know one of those things that we should really explore and which um books like the left hand of darkness i think does really well at looking um at that sort of fear and i would say that that might be something we could keep in mind with you know conversations about demons in both angel and Buffy. Mm-hmm. So. and i think that is something which uh is maybe not not maybe not so much a staple of the like fantasy genre in the sense of like the high fantasy and and although maybe not i'm gonna take that back I think that's a big part of the fantasy genre too. That's what I'm gonna say. That like whether it's like, you know, rather than portals and dimensions, maybe you have fairy, you know, and elves, you know, or you know, or if you go in kind of the gothic or horror side of it, you have like paranormal, you know, ideas and you know, so, you know, that idea of the fear of the other. I think whether we call angel science fiction or fantasy or something in between, that definitely, you know, fits with the genre. That's sort of one of the things that is designed to talk about, I think. Yeah. Um, so that that uh, collection of essays, the Le Guin essays, is called um, The Language of the Night. It was published in like the mid-70s, I think. And... Okay. Um, it's actually, I think, available through the open library, so we can we can link huh. to the record for that. Um, I'm not entirely sure if that's the open library. It's one of those weird things where, like, cert, it depends on like your state, and like right. you can log in with like your regular library card and that kind of thing. So, like, it might not be available to everyone everywhere, but it's right. at least I can at least link to the record, and link if you can it. find it, you can find it. If not, well. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Too bad. But, uh, but that, I mean, that the the uh, essay on, you know, American science fiction and the other is is pretty good. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, of course, Le Guin, a lot of what she talks about is in relation to, uh, um, you know, I think would fit in with this episode you know, in, in relation to misogyny and, and patriarchy mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff too. Um, yeah. And it's a very short essay. It's like three pages long. Like it's not incredibly long and, but it's really insightful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, anyway, lots of yeah. good stuff. Um, well, let's talk about that misogyny and patriarchy and everything. <laughs> sure. Because that's kind of what we learn about this culture. I mean, I know. Why you keep your mouth shut, and then we'll talk about what I want to talk about is how that should go. <laughs> no, uh, uh, wow, I'm terrible. I of know. course, of course, that's not right. Um, we look forward to your letters now. Um, <laughs> Please comment on this 
Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so, I mean, I, I, frustrations with Biling aside, it kind of is an intriguing setup for the character because I kind of like the, like, ambiguous, you know, line that they walk with her that, you know, on the one hand, um, you know, of, of her constantly... Angel and we, the viewer, trying to figure out exactly what her motivations are and is she, you know, like you start out thinking she's this sort of bad guy that needs to be stopped, you know, and then mm -hmm. then it doesn't seem that way and then it kind of goes back to it. So you're kind of on this, you know, back and forth roller coaster ride with her and, you know, and in the end, they don't necessarily make her either, I mean, talk about, you know, not putting, you know, the demons into kind of too easy of a box. They don't really allow you to put her in any sort of box, really, because on the one hand, she's, you know, this fugitive and, you know, freedom fighter, and she's protecting these girls and, you know, getting them out and saving them and, you know, doing all these good things but on the other hand she is quite cold the way she deals you know she has a lot of compassion for her own people and not much of it for anybody else you know mm -hmm. that if if men get sort of accidentally scorched because they got a little too close well that's a shame you know and and if if Wesley and Cordy you know who are helping her escape with her girls you know um get sort of taken hostage and get their th throat slit, well, that's a shame, you know, and boo-hoo. Right. But not gonna, you don't get the impression that she is really interested in, uh, you know, putting herself or her girls at any sort of risk other than for their own, you know, which I can sympathize with to an extent because it sounds like they're pretty much persecuted in their own home world you know just for being what they are um they're basically sort of lobotomized you know like emotionally um and you know made into these you know slaves so yeah. you can kind of understand why that would breed a certain amount of selfishness into <laughs> somebody who's really just out for number one and looking out, you know, not for herself, but for, you know, the women from her culture. Um, so, you know, it's kind of, you know, so not only are we not dealing with demons who aren't wholly evil, but, you know, it's, it's a little even too easy to call them good or heroic. You know, it's, it's more just their people sort of looking to make their way and they don't always make the right decisions either um mm -hmm. you know so angel's sort of caught in this in-between state of wanting to help them but also he this is his turf as he says you know this is his city that he's sort of been chosen or self-appointed to protect um so he can't just let her swoop in and you know accidentally start killing off the locals yeah, yeah. um <laughs> no i so i think you're right you know sort of going back to um 
Jira. Jira. <laughs> Not sure how to pronounce her name. No. Um, I mean, so the, there's a quote from Biling, you know, who, you know, sort of agrees with what you said. Like, you know, she is complex and she's, you know, she's this princess and, you know, supposed to be sort of looking after her people, but also like she's the princess in this patriarchy where the people only really means the men, <laughs> you know? Right. So it's like, like, you know, what is that? You know, there, it, like, there's definitely a conflicting sort of, um, motivation on her part because, you know, she wants to protect these women, but also like, that doesn't necessarily have to be at the expense of other people, but she's, she's also not to like, you know, if you're walking down the street towards someone and mm. you're both like walking directly at each other, you know, there's sort of two, well, there's kind of three ways to go about it, right? One of you can move out of the way. Mm. Neither of you could move out of the way or you both could sort of shift a little bit and, yeah. you know, cooperate in walking around each other. So she's the one who's not going to choose that last one at all. Right. And she's certainly right. not going to move out of the way for you. Mm -hmm. So it's like either you move out of the way or she runs over you right. kind of thing. Um, so like that also seems to be like, it's hard, you know, on the one hand, it's hard to say like that, you know, she's right to just sort of kill people you know who get in her way or yeah. you know are maybe you know a little too aggressive but maybe not you know deserving of death um, right. you know that kind yeah. of thing but like on the other hand there's a very real reason for that and it's you know because of the way that she grew up in the society society that she's in and the fact that as much as we might like to think that our society is above those sort of mm. things, I mean, there is a lot of misogyny and yeah. and not just, I mean, that makes it, oh, there's misogyny in this world, you know? It's <laughs> like, you know, yeah. Joss Whedon's uh, speech about, you know, words that kind of sound nice, but really didn't mean not so nice things, you know? Yeah. It's, it, it, okay, like, there's really bad shit that happens, you know, yeah. to women. I mean, to people in general, but to women, you know, on the account yeah. of men, like, if we're talking about this stuff in this episode. So, you know, it may be that she sees things in our society that aren't actually all that different from her own. And so she feels like she has to be that uh, extremely yeah. assertive, you know, protective and willing to kill people, you know, to see what she see you know to keep what she sees as a threat from actually yeah. being a threat to her and her you know charges i guess um yeah you know so i guess it does become a complex issue because like on the one hand you don't want to condone the killing of these people per se but on the other hand you can understand sort of where that's coming from and why she's doing that. And the fact that it actually is a necessity from where she comes from. And, um, and certainly, I mean, we're, you know, we're talking about LA, which has its own flaws and, 
and mm-hmm. sort of things but you know it's even worse in other places in our yeah. own world oh, you know yeah. so um you know that's all that's all to say like i i think i agree with you and certainly by ling agrees with you based on her <laughs> comments um that you know we are meant to see jira as a complex character who's not you know just um one way or the other she's not evil but she's also not not quite good in the way that we define it in our culture you know yeah uh so you know yeah no i mean definitely um for as much as this is like world building and another culture and everything you know the issues are you know i don't know that i'd call this one a that it's a metaphor for anything so much as like that this is just how things happen sometimes, you know, that like Mm. there are a lot of cultures and even our own culture at times, you know, will, you know, blame women for the attraction that people feel to them at times, you know, that, you know, I've heard it said, I mean, I grew up in a fairly conservative you know and it wasn't super fundamentalist or anything but um but conservative enough and i've definitely heard as growing up you know girls you know don't dress a certain way you know because it's up to you not to tempt the men you know and if you know you don't want to lead them any into any temptation now do you you know putting that on the girls you know as if as if attraction was up to them, you know, or solely yeah. anyway, um, you know, that, that you're responsible for how other people see you, you know, and this is kind of that type of culture taken to an extreme that, you know, because the women in this culture are so sort of, you know, magnetic, you know, that all of their, you know, emotional and physical passion is sort of you know, that easy to see and that manifest, you know, and, and draws men to them and everything that they Mm -hmm. are, you know, that that makes them dangerous and destructive, you know, so the only way to handle it is to just, you know, do whatever they do to the spine, you know, and clip that bit off, you know, and just get rid of it, remove the temptation. And then, you know, everybody's happy, then you don't have to worry about it. Um, and that's not so different from, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and you think of cultures too, where, you know, women are, you know, completely covered in everything like, yeah. you know, and not to cast judgment on them necessarily, but that's kind of the idea is that, you know, you're removing that temptation from the people around them. Um, yeah. Well, and, and not even just covered in our, in, you know, certain societies, but even, you know, things like, genital mutilation and that kind of thing where there's much more serious you know medically and physically and psychologically and you know all of these other things going on um that basically amounts to torture in -hmm. many ways so um yeah no i i you know and it's and of course you know so i also grew up in a very conservative sort of background my parents were pastors in a fairly evangelical setting and um of course i never got those sort of messages because <laughs> i'm i'm a guy you know and and yeah. i mean like it it is kind of funny 
to think about. I mean, and it's also very <laughs> not funny to think about. Like, you know, I don't like it. It it seems weird to me that like that would ever be said to anyone. But of course, I'm I'm oh, male yeah. and and white and you know. No, uh, they they said that to us. You know, yeah, you we, know, and yeah, it's it, yeah, and it's not and and I mean, so you know, on the one hand, it's like. I mean, you know, who do you, who do you blame for that sort of thing? Like, I mean, I, I don't feel like I should be blamed because, you know, someone didn't tell me the same things they told you. But on the other hand, there's certain, there's also like, you know, once you become sort of aware of that kind of thing, like it does change your perspective and you're like, huh, like that's interesting. And that's, you know, and I think, you know, getting into sort of, yeah, I don't like I guess I would agree with you like there's not it's not really metaphor, right? Cuz it's it's just this is the way the world is. This isn't like yeah. beer bad and we'll we'll turn you into <laughs> uh, you know, a Neanderthal. This yeah. is just like yeah. Hey, look, this is happening in this other culture. It's extreme in this other culture. Wait, is it that extreme? Because right. extreme things also happen in our culture. So, you know, right. like there's there's really there is actually kind of a one-to-one uh, relationship in, in a number of, uh, in a number of ways here. Yeah. Um, and I won't lie. Like it's, it is uncomfortable for me to even like, even be saying things like that. Like I, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but it, I mean, it's, I guess that's part of the problem is, you know, when, I, when it becomes uncomfortable and people don't talk about it, but. Uh, right that's why you have shows like this that sort of bring it up in these ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway. Yeah. Um, well, and that's a big, I mean, talk about metaphors, you know, the idea of using science fiction and fantasy to think about the other, that's, you know, we don't have a lot of others in real life as we know it. Most of us don't believe that we've met, you know, uh, real aliens or you know monsters or some of us might think that but most of us don't um but you know we have the other gender you know that's an other you know that's something that we struggle to understand you know um and sometimes people don't always and this goes both ways you know it's certainly not you know one-sided but uh not always thinking of the other as as human as oneself you know or 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 feeling things in quite the same way you know um so yeah yeah sure and i mean and those things can be i mean yeah science fiction in general can look at the other in a number of ways and you can sort of apply it in different ways it can be gender or it can be uh you know rich versus poor it can be yeah. Uh, and actually Le Guin like mentions all these things, right? It could be skin color. It could be yeah. where you grew up. It could be whatever it is that, you know, makes you something different, different yeah. things. But yeah, like it is, you know, all of these things are clearly metaphors and meant to yeah. make us think about, okay, so how does that work out sort of in the real world? And right. And how do I life? treat other people? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, um, sorry, go ahead. 
I had one other thing about um, Jira and Angel. Um, yes. So, you know, again, like I mentioned, they're sort of building sexual tension that never sort of really gets satisfied um, mm. in this. And I thought it was, it kind of occurred to me, um, you know, because the episode starts with um, him at the party <laughs> and... Uh, Maybe we should talk about the dancing a little bit later. But, um, <laughs> but you know... I told you, make sure of, you watch the credits. <laughs> I know, the credits were great. Um, but uh, his sort of awkward conversation with the girl, you know, and and, um, and so the way he was sort of talking about how he can't, you know, his reluctance to sort of get close to people. Uh, excuse me. Um... You know, he kind of mentions he thinks his shy, brooding thing is, you know, kind of cool and attractive. But uh, so it might be kind of, you know, his thing, I guess. But also, you know, you know that he's shy and, you know, aloof and reserved because he's trying to sort of keep his distance. Um, You know, and he talks about how he, um, you know, attraction is dangerous for him. You know, he has... Two modes with people, bite and avoid, hard to shift, plus I can't get close. Um, you know, so we've seen what happens when he gets close. Um, it gets very <laughs> dangerous. Um, so it occurred to me with all of the, you know, stuff with, you know, so then of course you get this episode with Jira, who's like, you know, the sexiest demon ever. And like, you know, and, and you know, the it's getting more and more, you know, heated the longer it goes on. And it kind of occurred to me that he probably couldn't settle down and have a nice relationship with someone like the girl at the party because what if he did fall in love and was really happy and that would be a problem. Whereas it seems like Jira, someone like Jira might be his only opportunity for that kind of, like, <laughs> closeness. Like, if they could have, like, really like passionate angry sex or something then maybe he wouldn't like you know uh lose his soul in the process you know like it would have to be like for him to be in any sort of romantic relationship it would have to be unfulfilled and kind of unhappy and unhealthy because that's the necessity for him to stay who he is so I don't know whether that theory will go anywhere, <laughs> but I imagine sure. if Angel ever, like, is in any sort of relationship, it would have to be like that. Like, something that was, yeah. like, not a happy thing. That mm. something was, like, almost purely, like, just physical and not emotionally satisfying at all. Um, yeah. There's my there's my theory. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting theory. I won't. I won't say yay or nay to anything that, in particular, that you said. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, I think you're right to pick up on sort of the happiness and fulfillment side mm-hmm. of things. Um, and that is my impression: is that that's what's important, not that like, uh. Not the sex itself, but like the, right. the the happiness is what does it. That he can't feel really content and 
Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, like I said, I mean, I don't want to give away anything as far as, like, what relationships. I mean, we've got, you know, five seasons of Angel to watch. Yeah. Like, it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that he may or may not have some sort of romantic relationship with someone at some point. Right. Uh, during that period. He might also not do that. So right. I'm just going to be coy and not answer the question <laughs> there. Um, but... I guess I would say, like, yeah, like, there's that, like, we're talking, so, there's an interpretation issue right behind sort of, you know, what the problem was, but uh, definitely we are told, number, you know, several times at least, that the curse, the gypsy curse, was that, you know, if he ever experienced a moment of true happiness, mm-hmm. now... Does that mean orgasm? Or does it mean, you know, like, perfect contentment? Um, right. And we don't ever... We don't have that clarification, at least to this yeah. point. Yes. Yeah. You know, and may never get that because, you know, gypsy curses like to be malleable. Sure. <laughs> in interpretation. So... Um, well, and the only... The only way to test it would be to risk right, happening exactly. again. So, yeah, you can't yeah. exactly reverse engineer this thing. Right, so, right. Um, at least not safely. Uh, the other thing I would point out is that Jira goes around burning guys. And as a vampire, Angel is particularly averse to being burned. Mm. Uh, you know, so there's this idea right. of, you know, if it gets literally too hot... Right. You know, between the two of them, Angel could, it could be become dangerous. dust. So, right. you know, there's that aspect, too, of with her specifically. Not I, I know right. you were sort of positing a more general thesis. Yeah, but, not necessarily her, but someone. But I see what you're saying, too, that there is, like, something dangerous about her in particular, too. Yeah, like, there's this idea that there's all these people getting burned, literally, by her. Yeah. Uh, which... I got a, a so side note here. Mm. Why, given that all of these women are like overheating and stuff, why is it a good idea to take them to, move the, to desert? the desert? <laughs> I, I don't know. This is this is one of the this is one of the things that makes me actually dislike this episode in in a certain way. I mean, I don't I don't it's not like the worst episode or anything because of this one plot point but i just i never understood what that like okay i get it it gets cold at night in the desert but what about during the day like it's gonna get hot as blazes and and they're already overheating i was just gonna say the remoteness of it but you can find remote places in like alaska canada you know yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. like i mean Yeah. yeah like i mean even okay the desert's a quick drive away, but like maybe you could start moving further north, you know, right. or not I don't know, whatever. <laughs> that that not necessarily a huge point that we yeah. have to discuss no, for long periods funny. of time, but I never understood that aspect of the plot for this episode. Um it is funny. So anyway. Uh so I, I mean it sounds like you kinda like Jira a little bit at least. I mean at least the complexity of the character and sort of the the things um yeah I you mean, know that go she's on with not, she's not i i mean i like the ones that are not very easy to categorize so yeah um, yeah she's definitely not that so i would agree um it might be interesting for you to know then that 
they were going to consider bringing her back at one point. Um, we, they don't. We don't see her again, um, mm-hmm. which I think is the impression you're sort of left with at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's a spoiler per se. Um, but uh, there were basically scheduling issues and I, you know, story wise, I guess it didn't quite work out or whatever. But sure. Uh, if you like that character, then well, it seems like they did as well. So, you know, like there was at least some thought there to. Yeah, her back. I don't know that I'm super devastated or anything, but <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> fair enough. I don't need more biling in my life. Ten, you but... are really not on the biling train. <laughs> um, I'm not sorry. Um. Anyway. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think we kind of covered the the other. I mean, the other demons, we don't really learn too much about them as individuals, really. Um, no. We kind of talked about their their culture and everything. So maybe we should just uh, yeah. well, move on to Wesley, but unless you had something else. Just one more thing, sort of on yeah. the whole uh, misogyny and patriarchy stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of my snarky uh, meta commentary on, on uh, Tim Minear's own commentary mm-hmm. of it. Um, given that this whole thing is about like, uh, you know, women who are oppressed and mutilated and um, yeah. used, um, you know, on the I've mentioned before, like on Tim Minear's site, he has like this, you know, long interview where he talks about every episode, and whatever. For the four paragraphs that he talks about of she, three of those paragraphs are talking about how the various women in this episode bring out aspects of Angel's character. <laughs> so I, you know, yeah, I liked him my near a lot. I can't yeah. say that's his most shining moment yeah. <laughs> ever. Um, so a little bit of women in refrigerators, like, and they're on ice. <laughs> yeah. Like Which just made me laugh. You know, um, so you know, yeah, the women are, Women are interesting insofar as they tell you things about the men. <laughs> That's the trap yeah. that can occasionally and, be fallen it's, into. It's because on the one hand, the show is titled Angel. Sure. So, like, I mean, you know, from the very high level view, it's his show. And so, like, there should be character revelations about him. I just was like, oh, man, as like a producer and writer yeah. on the show, like... I feel like it would have been nice if you could have said something a little more about. Yeah, a little more. Um, yeah. And yeah. and sorry. And so I said three three of the four paragraphs. The fourth paragraph is also about Angel. It's just not about how women reflect his character. It's, <laughs> uh, other other aspects of his character. So anyway, um, you know, whatever. Not knocking the guy. The interview is like ten years old. So you know. Whatever. Yeah. We'll leave it at that at this point. Or like 15 years old. Jeez. Yeah. Um, but anyway. On to... Uh, we Yeah, like you said, we should say a few things about Wesley and Cordy. Leave Cordy for the end, because she's the woman. Because she's the woman. She's the <laughs> least important. <laughs> ah, um, um, it's sad. Um, well, I mean, Wesley is a little bit more important this time around. Um we get so, a little more from him anyway. We do yeah. get a little bit more from him. So let's talk about the dancing. So we do get, um, you know, <laughs> Wesley's 
actual, you know, Angel's imagined goofy, ridiculous dancing, and then Wesley's actual goofy, ridiculous dancing. Yeah. Um, that's a funny moment with Angel. I mean, other than, you know, it just being really funny to see that actor and that character do that, is I'm not quite sure how to take it. Like, is this just... Is this how he really dances and he knows that so he's never going to dance? Or is this his fear of what might happen if he starts to dance? I'm not quite sure. Like, you know, <laughs> I'd like to imagine that maybe this is what actually happens and he's learned that he just shouldn't dance ever. Right, right. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, and we've gotten, so... And, and I, have... do like, I do like what they do with Angel of taking the brooding, serious, deadpan character from Buffy and keeping that an angel, but also realizing that that's really easy to make fun of. Yeah, and yeah. so occasionally just making fun of him for that. Yeah. Like, he can only be so brooding and so serious. Like, we have to just make him stupid occasionally. Well, and I think, so part of that's like, so thinking way back to like, uh, when... You know, like he goes up to like the security guard, right? Is like asking for directions, and he's like over the top tourist guy. You yeah, know? right. Or and he like knows everything about Baudelaire and everything. Yeah. <laughs> or when he's like um, waiting on the dock next to like the gangster, and he thinks they're going to like you know the Caribbean or something. You know. And, yeah. You know, again, like over the top with his shirt and hat, and you know yeah. this guy. So it's like on the one hand. And like, yeah, and both of those are examples of like, you know, this is Angel, you know, putting on his game face and like doing what he thinks is, you know, people like, right? Yeah, yeah, what it's like to like be these other people who aren't himself. So, like, you do kind of get the sense that like, if he were to let loose and start dancing, this is almost how he imagines he would look. Yeah. You know, or, or, and in a way that that's how he actually would la- act because he's going so, like, he's actively trying not to be brooding and whatever. So, like, he's yeah. just going so far the other way that he doesn't have any control over, yeah. you know, the amount to which he is dancing right. ridiculously. Um, right. Yeah. So, but I mean, it is sort of a mental picture. But I think we're meant to see it as his mental picture, uh, you know, and yeah, whether that's the way he actually would dance or if that's just how he fears. <laughs> he would dance. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, because we all, you know, there's we all have that distorted view of ourselves in a way, you know, do sure. I look absolutely ridiculous right now? And some people are able to get past that better than others. Uh-huh. And some so. people like Wesley actually do look that ridiculous when they dance. <laughs> sure, sure. But also, like, but he also, only seems to know it upon reflection. Yeah. You, like, well, he doesn't, in the moment, seem to... And and there's just something so free about that, too. That, you know, that right, right. He's, not, right. he's not hung up on his own... Uh, insecurities, you know, in the same way. Like that, you know, Wesley is kind of shameless in a lot of ways. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what's likable about him is like he 
dances with no, you know, inhibition and he doesn't realize when the girl is complimenting his sweater. So he has like a totally genuine response. It just is like a stupid one because he doesn't realize <laughs> stupid what and she's awkward saying. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, and even at the end, like his sort of, you know, kind of groveling to Angel, you know, the, you know, picking up the beans and offering to wash them. Like, you know, and Cordy keeps saying like, oh, you know, you take groveling to a new art and everything. But it's like, that's kind of what's fun about Wesley is like, his, he's so free in his awkwardness. Like, mm -hmm. he's just embraces his own awkwardness and <laughs> doesn't really... On the one hand, he does have pretensions and wants to appear a certain way, but on the other hand, he kind of just, uh, I don't know, maybe because he doesn't have a very good idea of what he's like, really, mm -hmm. he like, you know, I don't know, he just seems to not realize or care too much, like, what is really going on. Like, he's sort of... I don't know, free is the only word I can come up with. That, like, yeah. he he just embraces whatever it is that he's doing, whether it's dancing or trying to dress up and be a rogue demon hunter. Like, he kind of goes for it, you know, and is going to do the best of whatever it is, you know. Um, so. Sure. You know, so very different from Angel that way. Like, maybe they would look equally goofy dancing, but... Wesley at least dances, you know? <laughs> he just sort of... And now I just had a weird connection with Doctor Who of dancing. Mm. Especially with Angel's reluctance to dance and Wesley's non-reluctance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> huh? Yeah. So... I don't know okay. where to go with that. I don't know either. We, uh, so, Cordy... Oh, well, I mean, the only other thing about uh, Wesley being that, you know, he's officially on the team now, I guess. Oh, that yeah, sort yeah, of, yeah, If that yeah. wasn't clear already. <laughs> um, I mean, it was pretty much clear anyway, but now he's, you know. Right. This is, this is, a, so what we got in the first episode when he appeared right at the end where he sort of hangs around till he's invited to stay for breakfast. Like now for the last couple episodes, he's been hanging around and now gets the invite to stay on the team like officially and getting paid at least somewhat we don't we never really get how angel has money to like pay them um i guess at some point like they are having paying clients and stuff <laughs> but like right. it doesn't seem like they have enough paying clients to really be getting enough money to pay for cordy Salaries, and now Wesley yeah. having yeah or at least wages i don't yeah you yeah know, like whatever that is so yeah. I, you know, I, I tend to look at it as like, maybe Angel has had, you know, he's an old guy. Maybe he's, he's had a small bank account that has compounded interest over growing interest a yeah. couple hundred years, you know? So like, sure. that's possible. Yeah. Um, but we don't ever, I mean, you know, and he owned that. Well, I guess he maybe never officially owned it. He was living in that mansion back in right. Sunnydale, but we right. don't. I guess we don't actually know if he owned it or not. I just assumed he was squatting. But yeah, that, that's probably more accurate. <laughs> so he's saved money on rent all those years. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I just sort of. I mean, I don't the think kind we of need, stuff. I don't. I don't think try we not need to, to let think bother about me. It. Yeah, I don't think we need to consider it too much. It, but it is kind of. I mean, he mentions like I don't have much, but you know, I can help you. And I think Cordy, we talked about it. The one where Cordy insists that they have their clients pay. We kind of talked about the fact at the time that that's really the only episode that ever addresses that issue. <laughs> that like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. we're just going to insist that some people pay, and we'll just have to accept the fact that they must make enough to be. Able they must to have live enough it, paying you know. clients. Yeah, you know, yeah. and whatever trust fund Angel in, has hidden away. In in the days between those that we actually see. Of their operations. They get like really boring cases yeah. with high paying customers. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Saving lots of cats out of trees and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I um, think that works. So, yeah. Um, anyway. Any, any, uh, so Cordy, and of course, Cordy is okay with that as long as she doesn't have to take a pay cut. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and stop kissing butt. It's not like we get overtime. So don't go looking right. for more work because, you know. Right. Yeah. Which, yeah, so, exactly. Um, anyway. Any, yeah, any other final thoughts about Cordy? The least important character? The least important episode? character, of course. The, the one that's all about women and gender and Cordy's at the bottom. It's just about other women. Yeah, uh, right. Um, no, I don't think I have anything else really. Okay. Well, we did pretty good on this episode. <laughs> pretty soon we're just going to have to extend our podcast to two and a half hours. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> no. Um, anyway. All right. Uh, we will stop talking now, and we will be back next week with more Buffy and Doctor Who. All right. See you then. Uh-huh.